Amen. <clears throat> well, pardon me while I wet the whistle here one more time, because uh, indeed it's... Uh, it can wear out the voice, as, as I'm sure you're well aware. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. Open your Bibles, if you would, tonight with me once again. Turning to Mark chapter 8. <clears throat> Mark chapter 8. And as we continue uh, in this study through the gospel according to Mark, here, once you find your way to chapter 8, uh, you'll also find your way, if you would, to verse number 10 that will start our text for tonight. Now, uh, after last week's message, we continue on from the first nine verses where last week we discovered that Jesus has miraculously fed thousands with so little to begin. Once again. And that's the second time that he had done this. Now this is, of course, second such event in which Jesus has demonstrated that when we first give to the Lord that he is able, through thanksgiving and supplication, that's our prayers, that's our worship of God. When we first give to God and thank him for what he's given us, he is then able to make that which is given to be completely sufficient and with much to spare as well. And while these two accounts of the feeding of the thousands are indeed the basis, or maybe I should say one of the underlying principles uh, uh, that we have for mealtime uh, prayers of thanksgiving, we also, I believe by the Spirit of God, concluded as we studied this that this also applies to our spiritual lives and our service to God as his redeemed children and his disciples of our Savior Jesus Christ. And I believe that this becomes especially true <clears throat> when we go to share Christ with others, in that if we will rather than get apprehensive, rather than get hesitant about obeying the leading of the Holy Spirit to go and talk to a certain one or others, rather if we can consider this precious account as our template, this account of the feeding of the 5,000 is our template to, what did he say? Pause before doing anything else. Pause before God. Put yourself in a position of worship to God. Give thanks for the opportunity to share Christ. Thanks for always being with us. And thanks for the gift that we have in Jesus Christ. Then, then we go forward to share what great things the Lord has done for us. And I think that when we do that, when we use that particular template, if you will, we'll soon find that the Holy Spirit of God has given, uh, given us much recollection and he's given us plenty to share out of God's abundant grace. You see, I think sometimes when we're, when we're called upon to go share Christ, I don't know what to say. He didn't say that you had to say certain things. He didn't give you a menu, say this, 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 and this. I think that if we pause before God, give ourselves to the situation and, God, and, and, and acknowledge that God has brought you to a place, acknowledge that God is going to be with us, even in the fire, God, you're going to have to help me with this. And he will. And he will give us so much to talk about if we just start 
with Jesus. Start with one little piece of the bread of life, and suddenly we're going to have so much to talk about. So today, we're going to move forward uh, to our text here in verses 10 through 21. Mark chapter 8, look with me if you would and follow along. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse number 10. <clears throat> Reading down through verse oh, 21. The Bible here says, Then straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples and came into the parts of Dalmanutha. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given to this generation. And he left them, and entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And Jesus charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they, that's the disciples, they reasoned among themselves, saying, oh, It is because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not, neither understand? Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes ye see not, and having ears hear ye not. Do ye not remember? When I break the five loaves among five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they say unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, Seven. And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? Now from this text today, I believe we'll find, or at least I want to look at three thoughts as a basic outline to this message. For those of you that are taking notes, I've titled the message tonight, It's Not Just About the Bread. Well, that sounds pretty good. It's not just about the bread. And out of this text, and I believe we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the redirection, or call it maybe repression. I'll explain that in just a moment. Then we'll look at the reminders, and then we're going to look at the reproof. Now, I don't know about you, but these three things... These three things, the redirection and the reminders and, and the reproof from Christ, these things tend to, well, they tend to poke at me a little bit as kind of little pinpricks and, and attention hounds that said, hey, pay attention. You see, I find quite often that I need each one of these things in my own life as I tend to, well, I tend to let my attentions drift from time to time, going from one thing to another as each day unfolds and as it progresses and as the, well, maybe the washing machine doesn't work right or maybe, I don't know, maybe it rains outside when I thought I was going to mow the lawn or I don't know. But my attentions, they tend to drift one way or the other. So I need these today. So join me then, if you will, in pausing before the Lord in prayer, giving thanks and asking for his blessings and his focus that we look to this message is not just about the bread. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we look to your word tonight, Lord, I don't ever want to be perceived as trying to make light of your passage. And yet, Lord, I believe that you have some very, very practical things for us. And Father, I just thank you for how practical your word is in my life. 
and how relevant your word is to my daily experience. And God, I believe that you have something for each one of us here tonight. And I'm so thankful that you have preserved your word in heaven and in earth. And Lord, that we can make no mistake that your truth abounds. So God, I'd ask you to open our hearts tonight. Open our understanding tonight. Lord, may the Holy Spirit of God work according to your will here tonight to help me decrease, as John said, so that Jesus Christ may increase. God, give us that perspective tonight, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So looking first at the redirection or the repression, what does that mean? Well, we'll, we'll look at some definitions here in just a minute, but as we looked at our passage, having returned from a tremendous time, if you recall, of teaching and healing in Decapolis, that's where Jesus was, seeing how greatly the work of God was proliferated through that region, as such, the Bible says, a very great multitude had come to Jesus. And they had spent days with Jesus and with his disciples. So as he returned, having, having returned from that, news of his return has spread quite rapidly as we kind of come to understand and somewhat expect. Whenever Jesus comes, the news spreads and, and folks are gathered in a hurry. And who but the Pharisees show up just as Jesus returned? Wouldn't it be great... If we all of a sudden we read a passage that said that the Pharisees showed up and they were there to actually listen and learn from Jesus? Oh, wouldn't that be great? But that's not what happened. That's not what I read in verse 11. Verse 11 here in Mark chapter 8 says, And the Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. They weren't there to learn. They weren't there to, to question about salvation. No, they were there to debate and question with him and seek a sign and to tempt him, to lay a snare, to try to snare him in something that he would say or do that they could use against him. You see, they weren't seeking some sign of evidence that Jesus is the Messiah. Here... I believe they wanted him to produce something more. See, he had already given time and time again evidence through the word of God and also through the miracles, the healings, the restoration of life, the works that he was doing, the perception and answers to the thoughts of many without them ever verbalizing their thoughts. Remember how that they reasoned within themselves and when he knew it? Oh, that's not something normal that you and I can do. You see, these are things no man could otherwise do. They weren't looking for that kind of evidence that he's the Messiah. They were trying to discredit Christ once again in front of all of the people that were gathered because Jesus had returned. You see, they were trying to discredit him by asking him for some tangible Sign from God himself. Bring down some sign from heaven, they said, as proof that you are the very son of God. You see, they were really just trying to incite doubt 
in the minds of so many that had been drawn to Christ and were now following his doctrine and the word of God rather than holding to the exposed false doctrines of the Pharisees. You'll recall that as we studied earlier in the Gospel of Mark how Jesus called them out and showed them how their false doctrines, their traditions of men that they were holding to were making the word of God of none effect. So the Pharisees, they were, they were not there to bolster folks' belief in Christ. They were there to try to incite doubt in their minds. If you're the son of God for real, call down a sign from heaven and show us. Well, friends, I, I, I have to think that the sad tragedy is that this kind of thing still happens today. What? Is that not what the preaching of the social gospel is all about? It tries to take away our accountability to a righteous and a just God by diluting God into an understanding and kinder and gentler God who will take our circumstances into consideration and well, he'll adjust our responsibility accordingly. Well, you just don't understand, God. You see, I'm so... That's a bunch of hogwash. That's a very old term for... <laughs> Folks that used to, I don't know, you know, raise pigs. Anyway, um, but it's... That's not what the Bible tells us that God is. That's not who the Bible tells us that God is. Acts chapter 10 verse 34 tells us, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive, that means that I understand and know, of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. And verse 35 in that chapter goes on to say, But in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. It's not so much that I can convince God that my circumstances are so aberrant that I just can't possibly live a holy and a righteous life. So, God, you're going to have to adjust it just for me. That's the social gospel. And that's foolishness. And that's false doctrine. And hard as they try to preach that Times have changed. You've heard that. Well, times have changed. And that, that word of God, that's, that's an ancient relic. And times have changed, so therefore God must also have changed to fit the times. They're wrong. It is a flat lie. The Bible says in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, I am the Lord, I change not. And in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8, Jesus Christ, the same what is it? Yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't have to change because of us. Friends, it's us that need to change to aspire to a holy and a righteous God. But you see, this is the kind of false doctrine the Pharisees were also trying to incite here. But isn't it great to see, as we read this passage of Scripture, isn't it wonderful to see that the God of all wisdom and the Son whom all things were given to in heaven and earth, they saw right through this sorry temptation of the Pharisees. Our text tells us here in verse number 12, look at it with me in your Bible. Jesus, the Bible says, and he sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, why 
doth this generation seek after a sign. Verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. You see, it tells us that Jesus wasn't angry. He wasn't indignant because of their temptation of him. Rather, the Bible tells us that he sighed deeply in his spirit. What does that mean? It says that Jesus was moved with more grief and sadness because they were seeking something that they didn't need. If they would but listen to what he was preaching and teaching and healing with. But no, that can't possibly be enough. Show us a sign. Oh, Jesus was moved with compassion and grief. It said he sighed deeply in his spirit. They were seeking after these things. First, they were seeking after the sign that they had requested. But second, they, he sighed deeply because their concern was so misdirected away from their eternal state and their need for salvation. Their concern was for a parlor trick. Their concern was call down fire from heaven and consume, I don't know, that rock or something. They weren't concerned about where am I going to go when I die. They weren't concerned that this Jesus was giving himself on the cross for you and me and for them. That wasn't their concern. But the whole point here is found in verse 15 specifically. Let's read verses 13 through 15 once again and just to read up to this. Verse 13 says, Jesus left them. And entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And here's the key to the whole thing. He charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. Now knowing that his disciples' understanding and resolve was still fledgling, it was still young. They, they weren't completely mature yet in their understanding and in their wisdom of godly things. But knowing this, knowing that they could be swayed rather easily as of yet, Jesus here was trying to help, and here it is, redirect their focus to keep it centered on godly things. He was trying to repress that temptation to start paying any mind to what anyone said apart from what God was revealing to them through Christ. See, that's what the Pharisees were doing. Well, if you're the Son of God, don't, that's a distraction. What is Christ teaching? He's teaching God. He's teaching salvation. He's teaching redemption. He's teaching righteous living. You see, he's trying to redirect their focus back to the godly things that he is revealing. And friends, God is still trying to help us with that today. Wouldn't you agree? I hope so, because God has preserved for us some wonderful scriptures. 1 Timothy 1 verse 13 says, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 10 verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. 
And then in Revelation 3, verse 11, he says, Behold, I come quickly, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man can take thy crown. He's trying to redirect us. Repress the distraction of needing some sort of a parlor trick sign from God. Redirect us back to the Word of God as it has been revealed to us. That's where we're going to find how to live a righteous and a holy life. Which brings us to the second point, the reminders of Jesus. Again in our scripture tonight, starting once again in verse 14, just for the whole context, verses 14 through 20. The Bible here once again says, Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he, that's Jesus, charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we had no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye, because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet? Neither understand? Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not, and having ears, hear ye not. And do ye not remember when I break the five loaves among the five thousand? So he goes on and recounts, he reminds them of the things that they had just witnessed. Feeding the five thousand, how many baskets were left? Twelve. And he asked them, how many? With the seven loaves and the four thousand, how many baskets full of fright? Seven. He reminded them. Now, honestly, I think that this passage really kind of overlaps both these next two points, both the reminders and the reproof. Because right here at the beginning, the reproof is in these first few verses. And it would seem that Jesus is, well, it would seem that he's just addressing this matter of having only one loaf in the ship with them presently. But the first question, though, addresses the broader personal state of being. As Jesus says, perceive ye not yet? Have ye your heart yet hardened? Well, what does that have to do with the bread? Well, it ties in, but it ties a whole lot more to the broader personal state of being in our personal relationship with Christ. Now, one might think, one might think, Let's think about the disciples for a minute. One might think that having spent time with Jesus and seeing and hearing and experiencing all that they had, one would think that the disciples would most certainly not have had to reason among themselves about this whole thing. Moreover, had they listened to what Jesus said in that question? Their reasoning, I believe, would have led them to something other than the simple loaf of bread. But that's exactly what a hardened heart will do, isn't it? A hardened heart will take whatever is said, even if I didn't hear it quite right, whatever is said, a hardened heart will take that and somehow interpret it as a statement of a personal affront to me. How dare you? Who are you? Did, did, did you even hear what I said? It doesn't matter. You're trying to accuse me of something. That's not very Christian-like of you. 
I, I, I don't know that that's what the disciples were thinking, but friends, isn't that what a hardened heart today does? You go and you try to talk to somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ, and they say, who are you? Judge, jury, and executioner? No, no, no. I just know that Jesus can help. I just know that God can help. I don't need your God. Well, you do, but okay. Let me know how that comes out. I know how that comes out. I've read the end of the book. You see, that's what a hardened heart does. And that's what Jesus asked them. He said, have you your heart yet hardened? Because first of all, they didn't hear what he said. He said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And the leaven of he wasn't talking about a loaf of bread. Hmm. And yet, even with that, even with that, Jesus went on to use their concerns as the very subject of his reminders to them. They were concerned about the loaf of bread. But he went on and he said, look, do you not remember when I break the five loaves, how many baskets did you take up? Oh, yeah. When, I, when the seven among the four, how many baskets? Seven? Oh, yeah. He reminded them. And it was a reminder to say that, look, it doesn't matter how many loaves you have. Because God can provide and God will provide if we will first give it to him. So it really doesn't matter how many loaves of bread you have with us. That's not what I asked you. And yet, in his mercy and in his grace, he very pointedly answered their shallow and surface concerns with these incredibly recent events in which these same disciples were directly involved. He just reminded them. Just across the way there, you guys picked up how many baskets of bread? You know that God can provide. It's something greater than that. Now keep in mind also that these were not, these events were not just great feast events to which thousands had been invited. Hey, we're having a great feast over on the hillside. Come one, come all. Don't worry about bringing anything because God's going to do a great work. That wasn't the whole thing at all. You see, these were healing times. These were teaching times. These were preaching. Call them seminars if you will. These were times during which the disciples also heard all of the same teaching and preaching that everyone else did. But their concerns were not for the deeper revealed meanings of any parables that may have been used. They were worried about not having enough to eat. They were Baptists. They were Baptists. Baptists, we like to eat. They were concerned about not having enough to eat. Recall, if you will, that there was another tremendous, with thousands in attendance, tremendous seminar. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. Remember from the Sermon on the Mount, which these disciples also heard, Jesus stated more than once, Take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? And <laughs> what shall we drink? As a matter of fact, turn with me, if you would, Matthew chapter 6, very quickly. Keep your finger here. We're going to be right back. But just take a look at this. It's beautiful. Matthew chapter 6. And look in verse number 25. 
And once you find it, you'll see with me that Jesus said here, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body or what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? You see, it doesn't matter that you don't necessarily think you have enough to eat. The life is what you do in life. What you do with the Word of God is so much more important than how much bread you have on the table. What you do with the bread of life is so much more important than the biscuit at breakfast. So Jesus asked them, Having eyes, see ye not? In our text tonight. And having ears, hear ye not? And do ye not remember? Friends, Christians, let me ask you tonight, what is there that Jesus has taught us? Or... What is there that Jesus has tried to teach us and we, like these disciples, have yet an unperceptive, dare I say hardened, an unremembering heart? How much has Jesus tried to teach us and yet in our daily lives we go about and act as though we never heard that before? And Jesus has to remind us. Has God had to lovingly and mercifully, albeit that sometimes it's been a little tough love, but it's a love of mercy. How often has God had to remind me and you about something of himself or something of ourselves and where we stand before him? And he has to try to bring us back into a right standing with him before we can move on. You see, and I bring that up not to lament those times that we have failed before God. Don't lament those times. God knows that we are fallible creatures yet. Don't lament those times, but rejoice that God has loved us enough to remind us. God has loved us enough to continue to forgive us. We ought to learn from those times. We ought to pause before God and thank Him for those times and then go forward with Christ once again with the right heart. And so we'll close then tonight with the reproof. Now, as I mentioned, this passage that we've talked about already really kind of covers both of these focus points. We've already talked about the reproof, but let's look again at the end of our text. Now, remember that Jesus started his charge to his disciples in verse 15. Remember again that he said, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And then after their conversation, then you'll notice in verse 20 that it ends with a period. What does that mean? Well, that means that that particular conversation has ended. We don't know how much time has passed between that and the next verse. We presume that it just goes immediately right into it, but it may or may not. But there is a definite distinction here. And look at what he says in verse number 21. And he said unto them, How is it that you do not understand? It's a reproof. And this last question that Jesus asked really points us back to his first statement of take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. How is it that you don't understand what I'm talking about? You see, if we understand that the Pharisees, and he also mentioned Herod, 
who understand that their whole purpose was to elevate themselves to positions of authority and to prove that they were religiously superior to the masses. They did it by any means available. You see, if we understand that the Pharisees were all about the, the width of the borders of their garments, because the broader the width of the border, the, oh, the more religious that they must be. And Herod, oh boy, Herod. Well, we know from Scripture that, well, Herod just kind of did whatever felt good to him at any given moment. Herod threw a feast because he was just so happy, and, and then he, you know, well, his stepdaughter danced before them, and he said, oh, that was great. What do you want? I'll give you half of the kingdom. Because he felt good. He was drinking, all his buddies were there. So it seems. You see, they were all about elevating themselves. But Jesus is trying to help us. Jesus was trying to help his disciples here understand that it's not about how many people could be fed with how few loaves. The message to understand is that the prestige and the authority are not the signs of righteousness. Rather, the message is that when God is exalted and when God is honored and obeyed, God will provide all that we need to accomplish great, even miraculous things as God gives but we must beware. And we must be sure that it is God who gets the glory. Not at elevating ourselves. Not showing how smart we are in scripture knowledge. Because I promise you this, somebody else out there is smarter than you and I. It is God who enables. God who supplies. It is God who supports and gives the increase. And so, friends, we must take our focus off of what we think we can or cannot do and concentrate our focus on doing all according to God's prescription and plan. And then the results will be poured out in blessings beyond all that we could ask or think, the Bible tells us. And so I'll leave you with two passages of Scripture. First James chapter 1 and verse 5. Bible here tells us that if any of you lack wisdom, I don't know what to say, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given him. And with that, Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 23 is so beautiful and follows along this passage so nicely. It says, Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you, and I will make known my words unto you. We lack wisdom, we lack understanding. Turn at the reproof of the Lord. Come back and put ourselves right before God and ask and pray, give thanks. And God said he will pour out unto you and to me what he needs. Pastor, would you call All right, round two. I'm just kidding. Amen. As uh, Steve was preaching, couldn't help but think of when Job said, that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And as preachers will do, their minds wander based on the message that's there. 
I was thinking of a chorus, and all I can get is four words out of that chorus that we used to sing in youth group. I don't know if you remember that. Real life is mine. Uh, does anybody? Sorry about that. Does anybody remember seeing a chorus like that? Real life is mine. Um, pardon? Yes, it is. Uh, that's right. It's uh, happiness is uh, the Lord. Uh, if we could just get through our thought levels and realize that Jesus should be alive. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul said, Jesus who is our light. Unfortunately, that's not the case with a lot of individuals. And so we need to be, as Steve said tonight, we need to be aware of the living that's around us. And another little passing thought came by on that sign out there, we need to put out there, beware the leaven in Washington, D.C. and Montpelier. That's right. I don't know. Amen. I don't know if that would uh, stir up any, anybody, but uh, they need to be stirred up a little bit. Amen? Uh-huh. Is Christ your life tonight? Is Christ your life? If not, make sure he is. Father, we thank you for this time that we could be together. We thank you for the message Brother Steve has shared tonight. And, Lord, there are so many things that you've done in our past. Lord, there are blessings that you have. Uh, Lord, there's been pra- answered prayer. Uh, sometimes, Lord, we're not very specific in our prayers, and uh, that means that we don't always recognize when you answer those prayers. But, Lord, we should be mindful, as the hymn writer has said, uh, count your blessings, name them one by one. Uh, Lord, it ought not to surprise us what you've done. Uh, you made promises, and, Lord, if we've been obedient, then those promises have been fulfilled. But, Lord, so many of us today... Lord, we don't deserve the blessings, but yet they're there to encourage us. They're there to strengthen us. And Lord, there really isn't any excuse for our ignorance. We have your infallibly preserved word to guide us, to direct us, to challenge us, to change us, to encourage us to grow. And Lord, may we take seriously as we go our separate ways tonight and until Jesus comes, taking the word, your word, absolutely seriously, and that we would learn and would glean and apply to our lives. And Father, as we do separate now, won't you guide and direct and meet the needs throughout this week. Use us for your honor. Use us for your glory. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And don't forget, uh, if you haven't filled it up, fill one up uh, Father's Day. Uh, they will take them afterwards, but it's just kind of nice to get it all together and get them all.